Hello, welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week, Denise and I are going to be doing our monthly community connection show where we're going to share questions and stories that you all have emailed or messaged us on Facebook. So sit back and relax as we start our story time. <laughs> Denise, would you like to start us off? I'd love to. This first note comes from a woman, Charmaine, and she says, I currently work in the financial services industry. However, feel that I am in the beginning of my psychic awakening, which has led me to the Enlightened Empaths podcast. I'm not sure if this is the proper form for sending a community connection question, but thought I would in case. About 10 years ago, I had a dream I can't quite seem to forget. The dream was in black and white. In the dream, we moved into a big house that had a very large fireplaces in each room. My aunt had died when she was three years old, although is alive in real life. Her spirit would appear huddled in the corner of each fireplace throughout the house. When my mom would see my aunt, she'd run to her as if she could save her soul by reaching her. Right before she could reach her, a dark man would appear huddling around her and they would disappear together as if to taunt us. I walked into a room and the dream turned from black and white to color as if I if it was in a dream toy store. Bright colors and interesting shaped toys. There was a shelf that lined the top of the wall and atop the shelf, he sat holding my aunt captive in black and white. He said to me without words, you'll never reach her. I told my mom of this dream the next morning and she spoke to my aunt the next day. My aunt dreamt of the same dark man and of a home with many large fireplaces. She said she was being attacked by dark figures and was trapped until the spirit of her brother saved her. She woke up that morning with burn marks on her arms. The home my mother, aunt, and uncle grew up in is incredibly haunted. It feels like something negative is there, and I feel that something is latched onto my aunt, which we both saw connected by a dream. What are your thoughts of this? I appreciate all you and Samantha do. You shed light on a new part of my life that I'm discovering, and hearing of your experiences as an empath bring me comfort. Best wishes, Charmaine. Well, thank you, Charmaine. There's a lot wow. in this. Yeah, I mean, to me, that doesn't sound like a dream. I mean, it, it sounds like... No, it often, didn't to me either. Oftentimes, when there is it's, a ghost in a home, they will communicate to you in dreams. I read about that quite a lot. And I think because ghosts live in such a earthbound energy, the black and white kind of makes sense. The fact that mm -hmm. the aunt appeared... At the age of three, I wonder if that's when he started haunting that house or connecting to her. The fireplaces, I think that's very symbolic too, almost symbolizing that this ghost is from a negative place of fire. But the fact that it switches to color makes me feel like there's a lot of hope here. Right. And I thought it was interesting that she said the dream was about 10 years ago and it's still vivid and she can't forget it. And I find that a lot with dreams that are more than just dreams or links to our subconscious, or if there is more of a, for lack of a better term, otherworldly connection, it seems like they do be, the vividness stays with us for a long time. And we, I'm just immediately thinking of a dream I had years ago that I was riding on a bus and there was someone next to me on my left and I looked. And it was someone with a big hood and then they, they lifted it up and it was the Grim Reaper and I was on this bus and it was just, it was a really very real dream. It was strange as hell and someone I knew passed right after that. So I think that 
there's there's so many about toys fun little kids so there's something about that connection to the children or or to a child in this dream that feels very very significant with and we both know that if there is a negative energy or, or a ghost or a spirit, a lot of times they will draw off of, of a child because their light and energy is so bright. I agree. And I feel like it says that the spirit of her brother saved her. And so right. I just feel like this was either confirmation that that home was haunted or this is confirmation that whatever this negative thing was that haunted the house still has a hold on her or an aspect of her connected to her childhood. So either way, I would recommend prayer and asking for Archangel Michael in particular to come in and help sever any cords or ties or memories to these experiences. And I would also recommend that the aunt start to reclaim her energy in whatever way works for her with her belief system. You know, if she's open to shamanism, she could get, you know, do like a soul retrieval. Uh, if she is, you know, in, in the Christian belief system, she could have a blessing. But either way, she needs to get her power back from this, no matter, even if it's not with her today. I still think there needs to be a healing, a cutting of that energy and a healing of those memories. Well, the other thing that really jumped out at me with this is the burn marks on her arms. And we get notes from people and I've talked with people and, and you have as well. When there's a physical thing that happens when someone's dreaming, they'll wake up with a bite mark or they'll end up with a scratch or they'll end up with. Personally, I've never had that happen and I'm insanely grateful that it hasn't. I, I, I don't want nighttime scary woo woo stuff, but. What, do you know anything more about when things physically happen to someone when they're in the dream state? I don't know much about that. I don't know a whole lot about it. I just know that it does happen in negative haunting situations. Right. I was just thinking about how important to clear the energy in that house to, to smudge or even to have someone come in and do a clearing if it's not something that, that she's comfortable with herself. Right, right. And I would read up on negative hauntings. I mean, there's actually a conference that tours uh, at least once a year. I think it's called Haunting Haunted Survivors. And it's led by Stephen Lachance. And they give talks and instructions on how to heal from a negative haunting. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, her website is visionaryliving.com. And she has a lot of great articles and resources on her website, uh, HeidiHollis.com. She writes a lot about shadow people and hat man and, and just negative stuff that, that can bother us. And she has a whole book on how to get rid of this stuff. So I just mm -hmm. think this warrants doing some research. But yes, if you read about negative haunting situations, oftentimes people are physically afflicted in their dreams. Which is why I get upset sometimes when you listen to other spiritual-based people in our woo-woo world who are like, oh, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in evil. I don't believe in anything negative. Ghosts can't hurt you. And I always, whenever I hear that, I'm like, do you read the news? Do you live in the world? I mean, <laughs> I don't, you know, just because you don't want to believe in something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. So in my belief, knowledge is power. So I think 
you know, she and her aunt should educate themselves on negative hunting situations. And then I've always experienced and, and believe that when you stand in your power and you rely on your higher faith, whatever that is for you, and you create healing between you and your higher power and set your boundaries, this stuff really does diminish. Okay. Hi, Samantha and Denise. Love your show. I have a question about healing and empathy and how the two are interrelated. I have just started getting serious about my spiritual journey about six months ago, and it's going great. I've been reading a lot this summer in hopes of figuring out where I fit in the spiritual world. I feel strongly called to be a healer of some sort, but I'm not sure how to explore my talents. I've been interested in the medical field since high school. I worked as a nurse's assistant for a few years and did extensive job shadowing in the medical field. I'm an empath and I know nothing of protection and shielding. So doing this work at the time was very overwhelming for me and I decided not to pursue a career in nursing. I'm currently working in customer service and I enjoy my job because I get to help people and solve their problems. But I work for a large corporation and some of their policies towards employees does not resonate with me. The job pays my bills but I'm sure I don't want to do this forever. Starting in my teen years, I've always been a source of emotional support for my friends, and I enjoy doing this. A good friend of mine has PTSD and said the other day, she always feels so calm and safe when she's with me. Countless other people I have known throughout the years say similar things, but I have helped by listening and talking with them. I enjoy and become invigorated by being a light for others. I'm still very young, only 23, so I have plenty of time to decide but it bothers me not knowing which way I should be going. I trust that my guides have been leading me throughout my life as they have always given me opportunities that are perfect in synchronistic ways. I trust they will continue to give me opportunities when I'm ready for them. But what do I do in the meantime? How can I tell if my gravitation toward healing is a role that I may play for my close friends and colleagues or if it means a bigger calling for me? How can I tell which avenue of healing I should pursue? Do you have any books you could recommend to me? How does my empathy come into play? I so appreciate your insight. Blessings to you both, Alexa. Well, first of all, Alexa, I can, I think I can speak for you, Denise, that you and I felt that way for years, especially in our 20s. I think this is exactly. really common. Yeah, yes. so I don't want her to feel alone in that. I think if you read any book you read on how to find your sole purpose, how to manifest your best life, if any of those books will always say, Find out where you lose time. You know, like what are you doing in your day where you're not watching the clock? That's one clue as to your sole purpose. And then the, the other thing they say is what do you keep gravitating towards? And for her, it definitely is healing. Now, it might not mm-hmm. be nursing. It might not be nursing, nursing assistant. She, to me, she kind of sounds like a natural counselor. Yeah, and, and just the fact that she mentions a friend with PTSD and that her friends feel calm and safe with her and all these people that she's known have always said that she's helped them by listening and talking with them and that makes sense and you know becoming um, an intuitive counselor is becoming more and more popular and acknowledged and I think the woman we had on the show last week Amy Rowe was a good example of that as a social worker but also as an empath and an intuitive and how she's brought those together in her work so, I mean, I, I agree with you entirely that that would be a beautiful direction to take and still be able to integrate all of these skills that she's learning on the side as well. You know, it's so funny. I was saying to a friend of mine 
if I were, you know, 20 again and trying to figure out if I wanted to be a teacher, I think I would have chosen social work because there's so much flexibility with that degree. You know, like if you want, and I have the reason why I chose teaching was so I could be a mom because I wanted the summers and holidays off. But the cool mm-hmm. thing is if you get your degree in social work, you could become a social worker for a school and still have your holidays and summers off. And then if you don't, if you do that and you get tired of it, then you can be a social worker for a, a bigger organization. And then you can get another a little higher degree and you can go into private practice. I love degrees that give you flexibility like that, but she mm-hmm. does express the interest in the medical field. So I, I would tell her not to give up on her dreams of becoming a nurse or a doctor or a physician's assistant. The best thing to do is to surrender and to say to God, I want to be of service. I'm called to the healing field, but I don't know how best to do this. So you show me. Every time I do that, I get signs and synchronicities that are almost like me on billboards. But until I surrender and ask, I get fog and confusion. And, and we've both been very open that when the time was right, spirit just you know was like, okay, this is what you came here to do. This is what you need to be doing in your life right now. It's time to get on with it. And it was really, it, you always have, it's always about choice and free will. We know that. But what I love in this is she said, how can she, how does her empathy come into play? And what's beautiful about that is as more and more people are waking up, as more and more people are, are acknowledging empaths and sensitivity and intuitiveness and all of these things that have been a little too woo woo for so long, there's a whole new world that, that this generation of folks is stepping into, or as even an older person stepping into, because there's more acceptance for this. I think a really okay. good point that Alexa makes is about bringing her up. How's her empathy going to come into play? And I think that's just going to be a natural transition to whatever direction she chooses to go in because it's such a core part of who she is as a person on the planet. I agree. Well, hi again. I'm wondering if at some point you could touch on sleep paralysis. It's something I've struggled with off and on throughout my life and oftentimes I wonder how much is is just that and whether it's actual spirits or entities. I wake up frequently in the night to hovering shadows that dissipate off often waking up or sometimes when I haven't fallen asleep and have just closed my eyes. When what seems to be actual sleep paralysis happens, I'm usually I'm attempting to wake up for, for something before fighting through it. I hope this doesn't sound confusing. I appreciate any and all insight if you have on this. Thanks to all you do, love and light, Leah. I've always thought of sleep paralysis as when you're cognitively, cognitively aware of what's going on, but you can't physically move your body. Right. I've never right. had it happen. Again, very grateful. I've had it happen several times, and it's a really terrifying Ooh. feeling because you're wide awake, and yet you can't move your body. Now, sometimes I think it happens just because it happens. And articles I've read have said if you drink a lot of water throughout the day and keep hydrated, if you eat a banana and have more potassium, that that will help it. But sometimes I do think it could be spiritual in nature. I do think that our souls travel astrally while we're asleep. And I think sometimes they, our souls enter our body before our body is ready to wake up. So one thing I'd recommend to her, in addition to staying hydrated and making sure she has all her vitamins, is 
doing a prayer for protection before she goes to bed and just asking her angels and guides to watch over her and keep her safe while she sleeps. But having a little nightlight on in your bedroom really does help. I have a little rose quartz lamp. I keep it, I have a very, very low wattage light bulb in it, but I keep it on all night. And when I do have that on, I don't have any nightmares or sleep paralysis or weird mojo happening to me. But she can also sleep with a howlite or and or amethyst under her pillow. That helps to protect and ground you while you're sleeping. You can even grid your bed with crystals. I mean, you can put like four black tourmaline or hematite, for example, underneath the four corners of your mattress to just grid your bed in grounding protection. I had read once that, well, two things I want to bring into this as well is I had read once that when, you know that feeling when you kind of jolt yourself awake like you're falling, that that's yeah. actually you're, you're coming back in. I've read right. that before. And then I was listening to, I think it was John Holland I was listening to on his radio show. And he was talking about how when we go to sleep, we all go on the other side at night. And mm-hmm. and I think that we do sometimes. I don't know if we go every night. I don't, I, I have to do some more soul searching on that myself to think about. That's my new, my new level of interest is what are we doing over there? I, I need to do some research on that. I think... Some nights, my soul is so tired. It's like I'm staying here tucked into this body all night long because I'm exhausted. But I think most <laughs> nights, I think most nights it does travel. You know, there's that, there's that old story. I, I probably told it before on the show because I love it. But when there's this old, old story of when God created all the souls and he's, you know, telling them it's time to go to earth and those souls are crying and they're like, we don't want to leave you, God. And And God says, well, every night you can come back and visit me. And I love that idea that every night our souls travel and we go home and and we visit and recharge and get all sorts of good information. And it does make sense if you think about sometimes you wake up, you just feel so rested and relaxed and great. You sleep the same exact amount of time, the same position, the same circadian rhythm the next night. And you feel like crap or you feel drained or you feel tired like you've been working on a rock pile all night. So I think I think there's a lot of validity to this. Yeah, I do too. Okay, here's our next question. Hi, a few months ago, I discovered your podcast and it is, in my opinion, the best resource I have found about being an empath. Wow, how about that, Denise? You are both so genuine and down to earth <laughs> with experiences and stories. It empowers me to listen to you and feel more confident. I'm newer to being an empath, but I've had this change going on for about five years now. I only now know what it is, and I'm in search of so much more information. Knowledge and discovery is endless when it comes to following your own spiritual path. It's exciting. I feel like an explorer in a foreign land, and everything I discover makes me want to keep going. I recently went to a Reiki session for the first time. I've been dying to go and to share with someone about how I feel. I saw so many things during that session but felt crazy and kept my questions to myself until after. I explained how each time she switched to certain different parts of my body, I saw these moving waves in my vision change direction. She said that was my energy, that I was seeing the energy. Toward the end, I saw in my vision a bright purple light that emanated even more purple waves of light around it. It was the only color I saw the entire time. It was beautiful. I mentioned it to her afterwards, and she smiled and told me it was the violet flame. Have you ever discussed the violet flame on your podcast? 
I've searched so much about it and its healing purposes, but would love to hear your perspective on it. Have either of you seen it? What does it mean that I was able to see it? I honestly went home after this first session beyond excited, and it made the spiritual realm and energy around us even more real to me. I felt like I wanted to scream to the world what I had experienced. It was so humbling and now has stirred even more questions in me. Well, the violet flame would be a great show topic because there's so much to say about it. I always see the violet mm-hmm. flame when I meditate and when I do Reiki. But what's your experience with it? Uh, when I have done work to um, remove things, like m- to, to remove energy or to pull out bad energy from people, they always say to throw it into the violet flame. It's a very... It encompasses any energy you want to put into it, and it'll, as far as from a from a more um, indigenous way of looking at it. So it's been a tool that's been around for millennial, as far as with different tribes that comes up very often. And then on the metaphysical viewpoint, it's it's such a healer. There's so much healing energy from the violet flame. I just absolutely love being around it. I do too. It, it's considered one of the highest frequencies in the color spectrum. And it's connected to the crown chakra and the higher crown chakra. And it's said that the violet flame can transmute our negative energy. And it can also be used if you meditate on the violet flame and you do a meditation where you imagine it coming in through your crown chakra and spilling into your body. You can actually help to burn off old karmic energy. You can help, you can use it to help absorb old emotional pain and hurt. It's a really powerful energy. It's often connected with the um, Ascended Master St. Germain, which is kind of interesting to look into as well. But yeah, I think we should do a show on that. That'd be really cool. That would be fun because you're right. It goes in so many different directions. Yeah, there's so much to say about it. But I just want to say the fact that she's seeing that and that she's seeing her energy and she's feeling and experiencing the waves of energy from Reiki I just want to validate for her that that's so huge and that's really great validation that she's on the right path and is, you know, doing the work that she came here to do. Right. And seeing those waves of energy makes sense as well of being that mm-hmm. in tune with what was going on physically, mentally, and spiritually while she was having the Reiki session. That's, that's incredible. That's so fun. It is. All right. Next one. Okay. This comes from Jessica on Facebook. I bought a house three years ago and fell in love with it and felt good vibes from day one, and I still do now. The realtor told me there was a suicide about 15 years ago. I was okay with that. I didn't feel a thing and have enough crystal sage and Reiki too. I cleanse my house regularly. I cleanse it for me and not for that, which I think is that's a good point. I had a visit from an old friend who knew the story, and I'm left wondering if that energy from the suicide could possibly still be around. I guess this person took a chainsaw to the interior. I'm left thinking about it now, possibly giving the house that energy. I know I'm not being haunted or anything like that, but can a house move on energetically from such an event? Thank you. Well, I we've talked about this. I do think that wherever we've been holds the energy of whoever has lived there or whatever has happened there. I also think the fact that she's come in with this bright, fresh, new energy that she's using crystals and her even just reading this note it felt very uplifting it felt very positive that's going to help that house heal and then any energy that's left in that house I, I but i do think that places do hold energy but it doesn't have to keep it in a negative space i agree a hundred percent i think it's a good idea 
to always sage a house. I, I think we should sage for ourselves, as she says, but I also think we should sage our house too and cleanse it with the intent of our own light. You know, I, I'll do meditation sometimes where I'll just sit in my family room and I'll just imagine every inch of my house filling up with white foam, like shaving cream or insulation. And I just imagine the entire house filled with that white light as a way to cleanse it just with my imagination, my intent. And I think that helps a lot. I wonder if she was so attracted to this house because she's the perfect person to transform any residue of energy into positivity. You know, sometimes we think we're drawn to houses for that. I don't think the fact that someone took their life in that house necessarily is a you know, means it's a negative energy. I've had right. so many clients come to me who have lost friends and loved ones through suicide where it wasn't a malicious or negative or scary thing. It was sort of a choice uh, that they made because of a mental illness or because of a terminal disease that they didn't want to drag on. I think the only time suicide leaves a negative energy is when it's done with a malicious intent or for revenge or like a murder-suicide. Then I would definitely say, yeah, clean that house a lot. But this doesn't feel like that. And and I think sometimes there was a lot that happened in this house that I lived in. And when we moved in, and my my sons were much younger, and it did, it raised the vibration. And I think that the house, as silly as it sounds, I think the house was happy we were here (laughs) Um, to, to bring in that new life, to bring in that silly, to bring in that uplifting. Another really fun thing to do that that raises the vibration, not only for a house, but for the people in it, is to use uh, bells. Like find a nice bell that like a tinkly sound that you really, really enjoy, a hand ringing bell and go from room to room and, you know, send out good energy, send out healing if you do Reiki, but ring the bell at the same time. And it it truly, I did that when I was trying to sell my houses, I went through and I thanked each room and I sent healing energy and I, it does, it raises vibration. So that's kind of a fun thing to do as well. And it, it just, I think because so much of what we talk about, especially with this type of a situation, is about raising the vibration for the people in there, but also for the the home itself. Yeah, and I think to look at things like ringing a bell and look at how every culture in every country does that. You ring the church bells, you you have the Tibetan bells. I mean, I think there's a reason for that. It works. Right. Okay, here's our next question. I feel like a spirit led me to you all. Most of the topics and personal stories resonate with me. I am a 53-year-old, 31-year high school band director. I've always loved my students and taught from my heart, but I was transferred to my current crazy 50- to 60-hour-a-week job seven years ago. I believe I was sent there to rebuild the crushed band program. We rose to winning heights and happiness within one year. For three to four more years, it was still growing. After more budget cuts, no administrative support, and burned-out parents, we are on the downslide big time. My hero's journey is really confusing. The seven years here came at a great physical price. Two major surgeries, migraines, a pinched nerve in my neck, and very lucid dreams last spring. My office and room are haunted, trying to make me leave and killing me. 
Yes, I have been meditating for over a year. Light yoga, candles, crystals, I saw a Reiki master. I've heard voices on occasion. I listen to my inner voice. I cut cords, do chakra work, and shield the hell out of myself before going in the building. I put crystals in my office last week and send this and send the space light about twice a day. I think all of that is truly helping. Does the hero's journey come at a physical and emotional price so high it can bring you to your knees, or did I stay too long? I feel as teachers you would understand this. Blessings, love, and light. Well, I think she's getting a message that maybe it is time to do something different. I think sometimes if you're working that hard to change something and make something easier and you're having to pay that much of a physical price, maybe maybe there is a message there that there's a need for change. And I'm not necessarily saying she has to quit her job and leave, but maybe approach it differently, either transfer to a different school or ask for an assistant. Or my favorite response in my own life is just surrender and just say to, you know, say to God, I you know, I can't do this anymore. You got to show me another way. But I think if you're doing all of that, you know, there's that expression, if you're banging on a door and it doesn't open, it might not be your door. What do you think? Well, this one hits a little close to home. (laughs) Uh, And to, first of all, she's doing everything humanly possible. And right down to the fact of shielding herself before she goes in there and still having all these physical ramifications, that's very concerning. That's very, very concerning to me. And, and I agree is when, and I, I believe in illness as, it, as what it is, but I also think when we're under those high levels of stress, uh, physical situations manifest in our lives. And these are big, big things. If there's two major surgery, the migraines, the, the uh, pinched nerve in the neck. And then, so they, their spirit, universe, God is giving her all these signs in a physical manner. And then it, the lucid dreams and hearing voices and feeling almost attacked energetically. So she's getting the messages in that aspect as well. And the fact that this is so near and dear to her, her heart and, and no disrespect to anyone. And I say that a lot now because I'm trying to, to, to really see things from many perspectives and not just my own. That's one of my own personal things I'm working on a lot right now. So if I keep repeating that, that's as kind of a cue for myself to try to see things from different perspectives, which I think we all need to do during these very tumultuous times. But I also think there's the the part of being in in her early 50s, you know, life is changing. She's been in this field for 31 years. So there's so many aspects of this that it just feels like spirit is saying, "We, we love you. We appreciate everything you've done. And I think if it was just the kids, it wouldn't be a problem at all. I think if she was just going in to be a teacher, to do her job, to to work with those children and raise the vibration and teach them the skills to be in a in a working band, they would, you know, as as a collaborative unit. I don't think there would be the physical stuff going on, and that's that's my soapbox, I guess. But I I would um, say to do some. I agree with you. Surrender and do some really soul searching about is this the highest and best place for me to be in to be of service and share my light because I think that just energetically she feels like she's she's trying so damn hard to 
to make this a positive thing for so many people. Yeah. And I know when I get in that place where I'm trying so hard, it's almost like Lenny with, with the cat and the mice and men. It's like it, it, it has the opposite effect. And so sometimes when you find yourself trying so hard, that's when you have to actually <laughs> let go. You know what I mean? I have two things I want to say about this question and then we'll move True. on. Um, True. One, someone sent me a YouTube video of this professor talking about the key to happiness. And it's a really good video, and it's a TED Talk, and he's saying that the key to happiness is to take a sabbatical. So the way he lives his life, now he's a college professor, he works, he works, I can't remember, like, I think he works three years and takes one year off. And I was watching this video, Denise, and I was like, mm, you, I'd be happy too if I could take a year off every three years. <laughs> Hey, let me write a book on the key to happiness. But I thought about it, and I thought, you know, we Americans in particular, we do work way too hard. I mean, we work all the time. It's kind of ridiculous. So another thing I just want to say to her is while it's not like she can go to her principal tomorrow and say, hey, these ladies on this podcast told me I should ask for help or seek change, so let's start that today. So while she's going through this process of trying to figure out, you know, should I stay, should I go, what do I do, I would invite her to try and take sabbaticals when and where she can. You know, like, why not use up some of your vacation days? Why not take a Friday here and there? Why not take a weekend to unplug and not think about work and just enjoy yourself? Sometimes when we give ourselves permission to take many sabbaticals, it can do a lot to keep us going until life is ready to show us the next door that will open for us. But we got to give ourselves permission to do True. that. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to say, she kept mentioning the hero's journey. In, in my other podcast that I do with Deb, it's Psychic Teachers. We're doing a monthly series on Joseph Campbell's hero journey. And so each month we are tackling a different stage of the hero's journey and talking about how it applies to your life. And we're just trying to get people to figure out, you know, what journey are you on and are you behaving as though you are the hero of your journey and, and how can you go through your life more consciously awakened? So for anyone who doesn't listen to my other podcast, that's what she was talking about in that question. Okay, ready for the next one? Sure. Uh, this comes from Pamela on Facebook. And she, she writes, I see visions of people who pass away when I'm sleeping. Now, these are different than dreams. I have more control when I have the visions and asking questions and talking in general. I've had loved ones come to these visions as well as people I didn't recognize. Now, here's what's confusing me. I had a friend pass away about a year ago. I have had a, a, lot, a dream a lot with her in them, but she hasn't come to me in a vision. People say when you have dreams, you're thinking about these things or people, but she hasn't been on my mind for a while when these occur. These are active dreams versus visions that usually only have me and the deceased one in them. Is she trying to get through to me or am I putting too much thought into it? I would be opposite. To have a vision of a loved one who has passed away is quite a powerful, impactful thing and is very rare and it's really hard for the loved one on the other side to appear to you in that physical form. 
it's much more common and much easier for them to connect with you through the dream state. And it's one of their favorite ways to communicate with us. Now, I think when they appear to you in dreams, it depends. If it's a fearful or worrisome dream, often that can just reflect something going on in your own life. But if they're coming to you in a dream and it's just the two of you walking, usually it's outside in nature when it's a dream visit. And if they're just comforting you or saying hello or checking in and saying, how are you doing? You will be here on earth. To me, that's an example of a dream visit. And it doesn't mean that there's a special message necessarily. It's just like any friend calling to say hello and check in. And I, I just would accept it as the lovely gift that it is. I agree. And, but she, it's interesting the way she explains it is that she said when she's asleep, she sees visions of the people, but they're not in dreams. So it does feel like she's kind of asleep when this is happening. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm confused at what she means between dream and a vision. Because to me, a vision is like you're sitting in your chair having your morning coffee and you see your grandfather in front of you. That's a vision. Or if you're meditating to connect with your spirit guide and you see your guide in your mind's eye, that's a vision. But a dream is when you're sleeping and your conscious mind is not in control. Your subconscious is. And you have a dream. So maybe I'm misinterpreting. Well, I will, I'll see things. No, no, no. I don't think you are. Because I'll see things when I'm falling asleep or waking up. I'll get, I'll, clairvoyantly, I'll see faces. I'll see people. I'll see, I'll get just flashes of things. And I know I'm awake. So I wonder if that's mm-hmm. similar to what she's talking about. Because it's very different than if I dream about my father or I dream about you know, a friend who's passed or my mother or, you know, any of the people I know or even people I don't know, but you know in the dream that they're past. So, but I wonder if she's talking about that in between when you're kind of half, your resistance is down, but not, your inhibitions and resistance are down, but not quite as much as when you're fully asleep. Do you ever get that? I do, but it's never people I know. Oh. It's usually just random uh, faces and people. And I think for me, it's usually connected to people I'm going to be reading for. Oh, but when okay. I have when I have dream visits from family and friends who have passed away, it's very real. It's very vivid. I remember it years later, and it's, mm-hmm. you know I I don't see them in that in between stage. That's usually when I would see ghosts, or um, sometimes I will see flashes of things I'm going to relay and are reading the next day. But I do so much protection stuff before I go to bed because I hate dealing with that. Like, I just feel like sleep is for me and y'all just back off. (laughs) (laughs) I do. So I set really firm boundaries so that I don't have to go with that. But I think that's just her friend popping in to say hello, as she would if she were still alive here. Okay, here's another one. Right. Hi, Lisa and Denise. I just want to share with you both the impactful messages you two share with the world. Oh, wow. I've been developing in my spiritual journey for a little over five years, and I have to say how much your guidance, sacred space, and curiosity has allowed me to become more confident in my own connection with others and my higher self. From age 7 to 23, I would feel, see, and dream of visits and visions I didn't understand but I eventually prayed for my gift to go away. I would dream about dying as though I was living through other people's deaths, random people visiting me who wanted to pass on messages, 
family members also passing on messages, witnessing terrible events, only to find out on the news that it really happened. I remember telling God, thank you, but no thank you, you got the wrong girl. And immediately my dreams and visions stopped. Okay, Denise, I think you and I interrupt here and say, we've both been there, right? We get that. Yes, been there, done that. Yes. However, once I moved to a new date, new job, new environment at 24, I experienced a level of anxiety and fear that rattled me to my core. I eventually couldn't recognize who this fearful person was. It took me years of self-exploration to finally understand that I'm an empath that was given an opportunity to help others. In the last five to six years, I have grown to learn how to take better care of myself through yoga at first, then through acupuncture, and then studying and reading about chakras, essential oils, Reiki, and crystals, thanks to the psychic teachers. And now, beginning to reopen myself by connecting with my high self, guides, and ascended masters. I know it has been an adventure to get to this point I am at now, but wow, I am more balanced and humble through that experience. I now understand that my intuitive messages were just as scattered as my vibration because I was not aware of how to care for myself as an empath at that time. I appreciate so much of what you both do. Thank you again for your time, love, and education you continue to plant into our garden of wisdom and compassion through love and light, Stephanie. Well, first of all, Stephanie, you need to write because that's a beautifully written email. Uh, I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah, isn't that, I love that line, continue to plant in our garden of wisdom and compassion. Yeah. Um, this so, nice flow. We aren't, you know, we, we're sharing this not to be like, hey, everybody, look at us. We're sharing this email to say, none of us, we're not alone. And yet, I think when we go through those experiences as an empath, denying that we're an empath, we do feel very alone and weird and strange. And, you know, she went through this whole childhood of having this gift and not seeing it as a gift, which I totally understand. And it's, it's difficult. It's isolating. It's confusing. Like that one line she says, where she says, I would dream about dying as though I was living through other people's deaths. Denise, that happened to me for years and I never understood it. It was like, these spirits would come to visit me in my dreams and they just wanted to show me how they die. And I really couldn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Now I understand that I think a lot of us mediums are night workers. And I think one of our jobs as a medium, when people die, even though, or even if they're expecting to die, it's still a shock, right? It's just, you never think it's going to happen to you. And then when it does, mm-hmm. you're kind of in this, like shocked stage. And I think that mediums are often asked in the astral level state to be mediums, literally a medium between the earth energy and this higher dimension energy of the other side to just hold that person's hand and help them talk through their last moments on earth and acclimate the new energy of where they are. But it took me a long time to understand why that was happening to me. And when I would tell my friends and family, they would look at me like, Uh uh-huh all right samantha like they just didn't understand it and so then she went on and did all this work to understand and accept herself the oils the reiki the crystals the acupuncture yoga the chakras and that's how she finally got to accept herself and that's the same exact path for me too and i like the fact that when she said um she asked for it to stop and it immediately stopped so yeah that 
validates that it's a choice. You do, if even if you are off the chart, sensitive, empathic, intuitive, if you choose not to do the work, it's okay. If it's too much or if anything is too overwhelming, you, I, I think that's a really important thing because I get more and more uh, notes from people or questions of, well, if I'm, if why am I born this way or why am I waking up this way or why am I feeling this if I'm not supposed to do something really big with it? And really big with it might be that in your your job or your life or with your friends, you're that kind, compassionate, loving person that starts a ripple that you have no idea where it's even going to end. You know, it doesn't mean that it has to be as a professional medium or intuitive or or even in that field. It may be something that you just emanate into all areas of your life. But I think that's a really important part to to remember is that you can always ask for it to stop or you can ask to take it in a different direction um, because the scary stuff or if it's overwhelming or if you're feeling too much or sensing too much that can impact your daily life and we do we do have to function <laughs> on the planet as well as as a theory does that do you agree with that i agree with that 100 percent, especially the part because we do get that question a lot. Am I supposed to do something big with this? I think we're all just light. And if you think about a candle, sometimes our only job is to light someone else's candle. And if we aren't awakened, if our light isn't on, we can't light anyone else's candle. But saying yes to these gifts and abilities doesn't mean you have to light up the whole darn world. You know, you just need to wake up your right. little corner, yourself. So I do agree with that. However, I think sometimes when we push this down and reject who we are, I think sometimes that's harder. And I just want to give yes. you a really shallow example to explain what I mean. I have naturally curly hair and, you know, I love and hate it. And whenever I go to the hairdresser, I have her straighten my hair. And it feels so luxurious to have straight hair for a day. Like, oh my gosh, I can run my fingers through my hair. But if I step outside and it's humid, or if I wash my face at night and I get one drop of water on my hair, it curls up because that's who I am. And I can straighten it and I can put oils in it and I can get the titanium straightening iron. But at the end of the day, who I am is the curly girl. And I wonder... You know, she says in her email that she had all this anxiety in her early 20s. And sometimes I wonder if all this anxiety so many of us in different areas of our life feel from time to time is because we're pushing down the truth of who we are. And I don't mean just for empaths. I mean anyone. You know, like the person who's carrying on the family business when all they really want to do is, you know, be banned or something. I, You know, just whenever you deny who you are, I don't think it's good, you know, unless who you are is a jack, then yeah, deny that, push it down and fight it. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, too, that all of the things that she chose to, to self, to take care of herself were all aligned with in, intuitive gifts, with empathy, with compassion, with the very healing modalities that she chose to explore and develop. Right. So that's interesting, too, that she was drawn right back into it, kind of around the fence kind of a way. We get this question a lot of, I think I'm psychic, what do I do? And mm-hmm. 
it's really hard to answer that in email because it's a really involved answer. But I think what she's describing is what you do. You follow your passion. You follow your life. You learn how to take care of yourself. You learn how to turn your light on, whether that's through Reiki or oils or acupuncture or crystals or a pendulum class or yoga. But you start to explore yourself and you start to allow yourself to be who you really are. That's number one in awakening and trusting your psychic ability. Yes. No, I, I agree with that entirely. I think that's important. And that applies as well to if you're feeling that you're you're becoming more sensitive to spirit or more mediumistic or more um, physically empathic, that you're picking up other people's energy and feeling it physically with yourself. The beauty of this is that we're we're entering into a time where this is becoming more mainstream. And I heard the coolest thing this lady was talking about. It was the first thing I'd heard in so long that wasn't doom and gloom about where the world and culture is going. And she just very simply stated, and I don't remember what I was listening to, and she said, we're just going into a gentler time. And that gave me such a, a rise of hope to think about that because mm -hmm. You know, what was it that uh, the planet that switched the beginning of the month, um, the beginning of this week, excuse me, and it it went direct. Is it Saturn or Pluto, the, the beginning of this Pluto. week? Pluto. Pluto, thank you. But what's really cool about that is it hasn't happened since right before the Revolutionary War. Like 1773 was the last time this pattern showed up the way it is right now. And I just find that fascinating is how we are in such a, a time that's mimicking that now that but we're also getting ready to come into there's a more matriarchal energy and there's a lot of shifts that are happening and i think all of us finding each other and waking up is a huge you know um i i really do believe that i don't think it's just wishful thinking i do too so we thank you so much for your email, and we thank everybody who sent in questions and stories. If you want to share one for our next month's Community Connections, you can email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can join us on Facebook, Enlightened Empaths, and send us a message there. Don't forget, we are also on Spotify. And you know, Denise, I never went on Spotify until you got on Spotify. My kids always you know, stream music on Spotify. I didn't know there's so many podcasts on there. And I also discovered every one of Joseph Campbell's lectures is on Spotify. Isn't that cool? So there's a lot of mm -hmm. lectures and instructive yeah, things and, that you can uh, Google Play if you have an Android is another option. Oh, yeah. So please, if you get a moment and you have some time and you enjoy our show, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, it helps us discovered by other listeners so we can continue building our community of spiritually awakened people. Don't forget, we hope that you always remember to show up, do great work, and share your light. We hope you all have a great week. Bye-bye.